Section six of Lynn McLean by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three Lynn McLean's Honeymoon Part two. On this Friday noon, the appearance of the metal tube above the blind building spread some excitement. It moved several of the citizens to pay the place a visit and asked to see the machine. These callers, of course, sustained a polite refusal, and returned among their friends with a contempt for such quackery and a greatly heightened curiosity, so that pretty soon you could hear discussions in the street corners, and by Saturday morning Cheyenne was talking of little else. The town prowled about the barn and its oracular metal tube, and heard and saw nothing. The governor and I, let it be confessed, went there ourselves, since the twenty-four hours of required preparation were now begun. We smelled for chemicals, and he thought there was a something, but having been bred a doctor, distrusted his imagination. I could not be sure myself whether there was anything or not, although I walked three times round the barn, snuffing as dispassionately as I knew how. It might possibly be chlorine, the governor said, or some gas for which ammonia was in part responsible. And this was all he could say, and we left the place. The world was as still, and the hard, sharp hills as clear and near as ever. And the sky over Sahara is not more dry and enduring than was ours. This tenacity in the elements plainly gave Jode a malicious official pleasure. We could tell it by his talk at lunch, and when the governor reminded him that no rain was contracted for until the next day, he mentioned that the approach of a storm is something that modern science is able to ascertain long in advance. And he bade us come to his office whenever we pleased, and see for ourselves what science said. This was, at any rate, something to fill the afternoon with, and we went to him about five. Lynn McLean joined us on the way. I came upon him lingering alone in the street, and he told me that Mrs. McLean was calling on friends. I saw that he did not know how to spend the short recess or holiday he was having. He seemed to cling to the society of others and with them for the time regain his gayer mind. He had become converted to Ogden, and the New Yorker, on his side, found pleasant and refreshing this democracy of governors and cowpunchers. Jode received us at the signal service office, and began to show us his instruments with the careful pride of an orchid collector. A hair hygrometer, he said to me, waving his wax-like hand over it, the indications are obtained from the expansion and contraction of a prepared human hair transferred to an index needle traversing the divided arc of what oil do you put on the human hair jode called out the governor who had left our group and was gambling about by himself among the tubes and dials what will this one do he asked and poked at a wet paper disc but before the courteous Jode could explain that it had to do with evaporation and the dew-point, 
The governor's attention wandered, and he was blowing at a little fan-wheel. This instantly revolved, and set a number of dial-hands going different ways. "'Hi!' said the governor, delighted. "'Seen him like that down mines. Register air velocity in feet. Put it away, Jode. You don't want that to-morrow. What you'll need, Hilbrun says, is a big old rain-gauge and rubber shoes.' "'I shall require nothing of the sort, Governor,' Jode retorted at once. "'And you can go to church without your umbrella in safety, sir. See there.' He pointed to a storm-glass, which was certainly as clear as crystal. "'An old-fashioned test, you will doubtless say, gentlemen,' Jode continued, though none of us would have said anything like that, but unjustly discredited. And furthermore, its testimony is well corroborated, as you will find you must admit." Jode's voice was almost threatening, and he fetched one corroborator after another. I looked passively at wet and dry bulbs, at self-recording dotted registers. I caught the fleeting sound of words like meniscus and terrestrial minimum thermometer and I nodded punctually when Jode went through some calculation. At last I heard something that I could understand, a series of telegraphic replies to Jode from brother signal service officers all over the United States. He read each one through from date of signature, and they all made any rain tomorrow entirely impossible. And I tell you, Jode concluded in his high eggshell voice, there's no chance of precipitation now, sir. I tell you, sir, he was shrieking jubilantly, there's not a damn thing to precipitate. We left him in his triumph among his glass and mercury. Gee whiz, said the governor, I guess we'd better go and tell Hilbrun's no use. We went, and Hilbrun smiled with a certain compassion for the antiquated scientist. That's what they all say, he said. I'll do my talking to-morrow. If any of you gentlemen or your friends, said Assistant Lusk, stepping up, feel like doing a little business on this, I am ready to accommodate you. What do you want this evening? said Lynn McLean promptly. Five to one, said Lusk. "'Go ye in twenties, said the impetuous puncher, and I now perceived this was to be a sporting event. Lynn had his wad of bills out, or what of it still survived his bride's shopping. "'Will you hold stakes, doctor?' he said to the governor. But that official looked at the clear sky, and thought he would do five to one in twenties himself. Lusk accommodated him, and then Ogden, and then me. None of us could very well be stakeholder, but we registered our bets and promised to procure an uninterested man by eight next morning. I have seldom had so much trouble, and I never saw such a universal search for ready money. Every man we asked to hold stakes instantly whipped out his own pocket-book, went in search of Lusk, and disqualified himself. It was Jode helped us out. He would not bet but was anxious to serve, and thus punish the bragging Lusk. Sunday was, as usual, chronically fine, with no cloud or breeze anywhere, and by the time the church bells were ringing, 
Ten to one was freely offered. The biscuit shooter went to church with her friends, so she might wear her fine clothes in a worthy place, while her furloughed husband rushed about Cheyenne, entirely his own old self again, his wad of money staked and in Jode's keeping. Many citizens bitterly lamented their lack of ready money, but it was a good thing for these people that it was Sunday and the banks closed. The church bell ceased, the congregations sat inside, but outside the hot town showed no Sunday emptiness or quiet. The metal tube, the possible smell, Jode's sustained and haughty indignation, the extraordinary assurance of Lusk, all this had ended by turning every one restless and eccentric. A citizen came down the street with an umbrella. In a moment the bystanders had reduced it to a sordid tangle of ribs. Old Judge Burridge attempted to address us at the corner about the vast progress of science. The postmaster pinned a card on his back with the well-known legend, I am somewhat of a liar myself, and all the while the sun shone high and hot, while Jode grew quieter and colder under the certainty of victory. It was after twelve o'clock when the people came from church, and no change or sign was to be seen. Jode told us, with a chill smile, that he had visited his instruments and found no new indications. Fifteen minutes after that the sky was brown. Sudden, padded, dropsical clouds were borne in the blue above our heads. They blackened, and a smart shower, the first in two months, wet us all and ceased. The sun blazed out, and the sky came blue again, like those rapid, unconvincing weather changes of the drama. Amazement at what I saw happening in the heavens took me from things on earth, and I was unaware of the universal fit that now seized upon Cheyenne until I heard the high cry of Jode at my ear. His usual punctilious bearing had forsaken him, and he shouted alike to stranger and acquaintance, It is no half-inch, sir, don't you tell me and the crowd would swallow him, but you could mark his vociferous course as he went proclaiming to the world, A failure, sir! The fellow's an impostor, as I well knew! It's no half-inch! Which was true. What have you got to say to that? we asked Hilbrun, swarming around him. If you'll just keep cool, said he, it's only the first installment. In about two hours and a half I'll give you the rest. Soon after four the dropsical clouds materialized once again above open-mouthed Cheyenne. No school let out for an unexpected holiday, no herd of stampeded range cattle, conducts itself more miscellaneously. Gray respectable men, with daughters married, leaped over fences and sprang back, Prominent legislators hopped howling up and down doorsteps. Women waved handkerchiefs from windows and porches. 
the chattering jode flew from anemometer to rain gauge and old judge burridge apostrophized providence in his front yard with the postmaster's label still pinned to his back nobody minded the sluicing downpour this second installment was much more of a thing than the first and hilbron alone kept a calm exterior the face of the man who lifts a heavy dumbbell and throws an impressive glance at the audience assistant lusk was by no means thus proof against success i saw him put a bottle back in his pocket his face already disintegrated with a tipsy leer judge burridge perceiving the rainmaker came out of his gate and proceeded toward him extending the hand of congratulation mr hilbron said he i am judge burridge the hon t coleman burridge and i will say that i am most favorably impressed with your shower his shower yelped jode flourishing measurements why you don't claim it's yourn do ye said lin mclean grinning i tell you it's no half inch yet gentlemen said jode ignoring the facetious puncher you're mistaken said hilbron sharply it's a plum big show half inch or no half inch said lin if he's short he don't get his money said some ignoble subscriber yes he will said the governor or i'm a short he's earned it you bet said lin fair and square if they're going back on you doctor i'll chip shucks lin's hand fell from the empty pocket he remembered his wad in the stakeholder's hands and that he now possessed possibly two dollars in silver all told i can't chip in doctor he said that hobo over there has won my cash and he's filling up on the prospects right now i don't care it's the biggest show i've ever saw you're a dandy mr hilbron Woo! and lin clapped the rainmaker on the shoulder exulting he had been too well entertained to care what he had in his pocket and his wife had not yet occurred to him they were disputing about the rainfall which had been slightly under half an inch in a few spots but over it in many others and while we stood talking in the renewed sunlight more telegrams were brought to jode saying that there was no moisture anywhere and simultaneously with these riders dashed into town with the news that twelve miles out the rain had flattened the grain crop we had more of such reports from as far as thirty miles and beyond that there had not been a drop or a cloud it staggered one's reason the brain was numb with surprise well gentlemen said the rainmaker i'm packed up and my train'll be along soon would have been along by this only it's late what's the word as to my three hundred and fifty dollars even still there were objections expressed he had not entirely performed his side of the contract i think different gentlemen said he but i'll unpack and let that train go i can't have the law on you i suppose but if you don't pay me the rainmaker put his hands in his pockets and leaned against the fence i'll flood your town in earthquakes and eruptions people end by expecting anything 
and in the total eclipse that was now over all Cheyenne's ordinary standards and precedents, the bewildered community saw in this threat nothing more unusual than if he had said twice two made four. The purse was handed over. "'I'm obliged,' said Hilbrun simply. "'If I had foreseen, gentlemen,' said Jode, too deeply grieved now to feel anger, that I would even be indirectly associated with your losing your money through this, this absurd occurrence, I would have declined to help you. It becomes my duty, he continued, turning coldly to the inebriated Lusk, to hand this to you, sir, and the assistant lurchingly stuffed his stakes away. It's worth it, said Lynn. He's welcome to my cash. What's that you say, Lynn McLean? It was the biscuit-shooter, and she surged to the front. I'm broke. He's got it. That's all, said Lynn briefly. Broke? You? She glared at her athletic young lord, and she uttered a preliminary howl. At that long-lost cry, Lusk turned his silly face. It's my darling Kate, he said. Why, Kate! The next thing that I knew, Ogden and I were grappling with Lynn McLean, for everything had happened at once. The bride had swooped upon her first wedded love and burst into tears on the man's neck, which Lynn was trying to break in consequence. We do not always recognize our benefactors at sight. They all came to the ground, and we hauled the second husband off. The lady and Lusk remained in a heap, he foolish, tearful, and affectionate. She turned furiously at bay, his guardian angel, indifferent to the onlooking crowd, and hurling righteous defiance at Lynn. "'Don't you dare lay your finger on my husband, you sagebrush bigamist!' is what the marvelous female said. "'Bigamist!' repeated Lynn, dazed at this charge. "'I ain't,' he said to Ogden and me. "'I never did. I've never married any of em before her.' "'Little good that'll do yes, Lynn McLean. Me and him was man and wife before ever I come across you's.' "'You and him?' murmured the puncher. "'Her and me,' whimpered Lusk. Sidney. He sat up with a limp, confiding stare at everybody. "'Sidney who?' said Lynn. "'No, no,' corrected Lusk crossly. "'Sidney, Nebraska.' The stakes at this point fell from his pocket, which he did not notice, but the bride had them in safekeeping at once. "'Who are you, anyway, when you ain't drunk?' demanded Lynn. He's as good a man as you, and better, snorted the guardian angel. Give him a pistol, and he'll make you hard to find. Well, you listen to me, Sidney, Nebraska, Lynn began. No, no, corrected Lusk once more, as a distant whistle blew. Jim. Good-bye, gentlemen, said the rainmaker. That's the westbound. I'm perfectly satisfied with my experiment here, and I'm off to repeat it at Salt Lake City. You are, shouted Lynn McLean. Him and Jim's going to work it again? 
for goodness sake somebody lend me twenty-five dollars at this there was an instantaneous rush ten minutes later in front of the ticket windows there was a line of citizens buying tickets for salt lake as if it had been madame bernhardt some rock had been smitten and ready money had flowed forth the governor saw us off sad that his duties should detain him but jode went betting is the fool's argument gentlemen said he to ogden mclean and me and it's a weary time since i have had the pleasure which way are you bettin lynn asked with my principles sir answered the little signal service officer i expect ain't got any said the puncher it's jim i'm backin this time see here said i i want to talk to you we went into another car and i did and so you knowed about lusk when we was on them boardwalks the puncher said do you mean i ought to have shucks no you couldn't nobody couldn't it's a queer world all the same you have good friends and all that he looked out of the window laramie already he commented and got out and walked by himself on the platform until we had started again you have good friends he pursued settling himself so his long legs were stretched and comfortable and they tell you things and you tell them things and when it don't make no particular matter one way or the other you give em your honest opinion and talk straight to em and they'll come to you the same way so that when you're ridin the range alone sometimes and thinkin a lot of things over on top maybe of some doggoned hill you'll say to yourself about some fella you know mighty well there's a man is a good friend of mine and you mean it and it's so yet when matters is serious as onced in a while they're bound to get and you're in a plumb hole where is the man then your good friend why he's where you want him to be standin off keepin his mouth shut and lettin you find your own trail out if he tried to show it to you you'd likely hit him but shucks circumstances have showed me the trail this time you bet and the puncher's face which had been sombre grew lively and he laid a friendly hand on my knee the trail's pretty simple said i you bet but it's sure a queer world tell you said lynn with the air of having made a discovery when a man gets down to bedrock affairs in this life he's got to do his travelin alone same as he does his dyin i expect even married men has thoughts and hopes they don't tell their wives never was married said i well no more was i let's go to bed and lynn shook my hand and gave me a singular rather melancholy smile at salt lake city which ogden was glad to include in his western holiday we found both mormon and gentile ready to give us odds against rain only i noticed that those of the true faith were less free indeed the mormon the quaker and most sects of an isolated doctrine have a nice prudence in money during our brief stay we visited the sights floating in the lake listening to pins drop in the gallery of the tabernacle 
seeing frescoes of saints in robes speaking from heaven to joseph smith in the sunday clothes of a modern farm-hand and in the street we heard at a distance a strenuous domestic talk between the new or perhaps i should say the original husband and wife she's corralled sidney's cash said the delighted lynn he can't bet nothin on this shower and then after all this time it didn't rain stripped of money both ways cheyenne having most fortunately purchased a return ticket sought its home the perplexed rainmaker went somewhere else without his assistant lusk's exulting wife having the money retained him with her good luck to you sidney said lin speaking to him for the first time since cheyenne i feel a heap better since i've saw you married he paid no attention to the biscuit shooter or the horrible language that she threw after him jode also felt a heap better legitimate science had triumphed Today most of cheyenne believes with jode that it was all a coincidence south carolina had bet on her principles and won from lynn the few dollars that i had lent the puncher and what will you do now i said to lynn join the beef roundup balaam's payin forty dollars i guess that'll keep a single man end of chapter three Part 2